You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Attention, slipper people. The Sportiva Cobras are back and they're better than ever. Um, dude, I think that's a rattlesnake. And now that's just a whip. Sweep the leg. No mercy. Okay, now you got it. But the really good news is that the Cobra Eco is made from 85% recycled materials with low-impact adhesives and tanning process. What's more, not a single gluten is harmed in Sportiva's revolutionary gluten-friendly manufacturing process. Unless, of course, you count the break-time cannolis. So flaky. But seriously, the Cobra remains a legend for its fit and all-around performance from boulders to sport climbs and even thin cracks. And they're back and better than ever. So check out the Renewed Cobra Eco at Sportiva.com or your favorite local shop. And remember the glutens. Run free and climb hard, little glutens. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? Are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big house. place. That's, out. Out. That's a big nice. place. You sold it out. Oh, I'll see. see. You really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed having with you. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Good weather. Bad weather. Now or later, anytime. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment. With support from Maxim Ropes. And the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Enorma cast. This is your host, Chris Kloos. It is... August 14th, about 9 o'clock Central Time, here in the occasionally used satellite studio of the Normacast in northern Wisconsin, in the little mitten of Wisconsin, right around the index finger up here. And this is episode 157 of the Normacast, a conversation with rock climber Katie Lambert. And before you Wisconsin climbers get too excited about why I'm in Wisconsin, it has nothing to do with climbing as usual. I'm here at the Calouse Compound off the grid up in northern Wisconsin and just visiting the folks, giving the normal baby some grandparent time. So, no, I will not be visiting any of your favorite Midwest crags on this particular trip besides it's muggy and mosquito-y and um, climbing is the furthest thing from my mind while I'm here. Sorry, another time perhaps. We're doing lake time, eating meat and fried food, talking about the Packers, even though it's August. Still talking about the Packers. Okay, a couple things I want to talk about besides the Packers today. The Dean Fidelman interviews got a lot of great responses. I think we did a good job with those. But uh, the main thing is, is that you guys, well, people in general, but I think the Enormo Nation had a lot to do with it, blew the fucking lid off of Dean's Kickstarter for the 20th anniversary of Snow News Calendar. He asked for... 6500 bucks, which just didn't seem like very much money to create and put out something like that. 
and instead he got something like $39,000. Although, you know, everyone gets a calendar and rewards with that. So it's not just handing Dean money. It just means that in the end, he can make this thing solvent when he puts the time in, which is amazing. Plus, it very much encouraged Dean to go after that Dean Potter book that we talked about on the second half of his interview. So yeah, it kind of it kind of blew his mind, and you know whatever people pledged out there, uh, if you're going to get your calendar, if you're going to get more than that, some prints or anything else, just keep in mind that that uh, Dean is just blown away. Like he has to, he he almost has to go to therapy to figure out um, what happened with that Kickstarter. So I think, uh, I think you guys really came through for him. So I appreciate that. I know I'm getting mine as well. Can't wait. I have another announcement. I have another podcast that I've been putting out sort of secretly in the last couple of weeks, getting some episodes posted, but I want to announce it here and we're going to start sort of promoting it in the coming weeks and I don't know, is there room for another podcast in the world? I'm sure the phrase, I have a podcast, you've probably heard that like five times today. And, uh, you know, even from your grandma who has like a pickleball podcast called the Pickleball Princess or something like that. Yeah, there's a lot of podcasts out there. There's more and more climbing podcasts out there. I understand that. But, you know, we're going to toss this one into the ocean of podcasting anyway. It's called The Run Out Podcast. It can be found on iTunes under the Runout Podcast or at uh, runoutpodcast.com. And it's a project that I started with Andrew Bisharat. It's going to be a little more current events oriented than the Enormacast. It's going to be editorial opinion about uh, stories in climbing and or issues in climbing. And I know it feels like I put my opinion on this podcast a lot. I do here in the beginning, but not entirely and uh you know i'm often in an interview where a guest says something that i actually may you know at least moderately disagree with or have you know some sort of uh points i want to make about it and believe it or not for those of you who think i talk too much or i interview myself every episode i actually don't pipe up so the uh the runout's going to be a little bit more of that but a little bit more journalism in a way and um it's going to be a lot shorter so it's got a, a few elements of the Enormacast because, hey, it's me. And the Enormacast is pretty much me, not hiding anything over here. Um, so go check it out if you can't get enough Calouse or Andrew Bishrat or a few other people. My friend Jen Fleming is going to be involved. And we're going to hopefully have guests on there as well. But more guests to, uh, to also pipe in on whatever topic we're talking about versus interviewing them about themselves so might be a nice uh companion to this thing and we'll see we'll see how it does like i said the the podcasting forest is very thick with trees it used to be just basically me and the dirtbag diaries on an empty plane on a savanna our two little trees and now it's a complete forest so hopefully it'll pop up hopefully you guys be interested in it and the other thing is we are going about it the same way i went about the Enormacast, where we are actually going to build it live in a sense, and that we're going to let it become what it's going to become. We don't have a real super set idea about it other than some some kind of guiding principles. And um, hopefully in a few episodes, maybe 10, maybe 15, we'll actually have a format that we like. So check it out. Give us some suggestions if you want. Give us a little bit of a break while we get it sorted out. And uh See what happens over there. Again, it's the Run Up Podcast.
Okay, enough business. Let's uh, let's talk about this interview. This was a super fun interview for me to do. I hope it's a super fun interview for you guys to listen to. I hadn't seen Katie in 12 years, I believe it was, um, which is a long time. We'd communicated a little bit over social media, kept in touch. And I watched her, you know, become who she is as a super accomplished adventure climber and climber in general and a sponsored climber and just really amazing to meet someone in the very, very beginning who's super stoked and then watch their career, if you want to call it that, although she's, you know, juggling a lot of things, uh, blossom into something of note and something of interest. And um, we just had a lot of fun talking. And this is also one where we're going to swap stories and I tell some stories as well, but uh, we laughed a lot and had a really good time. And this is basically two people um, catching up after 12 years. Um, so ho hope you don't mind that a little bit. And Katie's amazing. I don't know. She's not as famous as a lot of sort of sponsored climbers, but she should be. She's an incredibly accomplished climber on big routes, on trad routes, on sport routes, and bouldering in the buttermilks as well. You know, I believe she's climbed as hard as 13C or D. And we're talking about in Tuolumne, which is not a gimme place to climb that hard by any means. Um, she's also rather little. So you, uh, you folks of diminutive stature can have some in inspiration here as well. And, uh, and she's an awesome representative of, uh, of women climbers everywhere as well. So Katie's got a tongue going on. She's super fun. And uh, that's really what you get here is two friends catching up and talking about climbing. In the past, the likelihood of me climbing with a full-on restrictive rain layer was about the same as me taking up yoga to improve my climbing. And let's just say my shakas remain woefully disjointed. Instead, I usually just toss in a scant little thing that looks waterproofish, might be slightly water resistant, but in a downpour becomes a clingy death cocoon that will suck the life out of you faster than watching a 10-year-old pad sniffer send your project after wolfing down a corn dog and a value pack of Skittles. But Black Diamond has the antidote for the stiff and crinkly rain layer, their new stretch rainwear. Stretchy, breathable, and waterproof. The fully featured Stormline shell and the Zippier Fine Line both are made for climbing with gusseted pits, helmet-ready hoods, and they pack into a carabiner-ready pocket to clip to your harness and forget about until that first cold drop slaps your forehead. Check out the entire line of stretch rainwear at blackdiamondequipment.com or better yet, make sure it fits by trying it on at your favorite local shop. Wait, so you're not teaching anymore? No, shoot, it's been, see, it's been a long time. I actually, I think when we met, uh, I wasn't teaching. Oh, okay. But I actually, I had, you. It, it would be confusing because I would have just stopped. Okay. And that's part of the trip I was on was kind of like my post, because it would have been a 2006, I think. I think it was the summer 2006. Yeah, because yeah, it was my first summer um, that I moved out to California. Okay. And so I had just quit teaching the year before, and so, and that, but I was um, at that point I was still planning on going back to it. Okay. So that's probably like some sort of conversation that we had. Yeah. Because I was like on sort of my gap year between what I thought was going to be between jobs. Yeah. And the, I was out to climb the free rider, and that was kind of like, well, I got to get this done, and then I'll just like you know hang it up, and yeah. start working for the rest of my life. <laughs> 
or whatever. <laughs> so that was kind of like probably literally on my mindset and when we met up in Tuolumne. Yeah. Um, Who were you with? I was with Maury. That's right. Maury Waugh. Yeah. yeah. The infamous. Really tall guy. Yeah. Tall, outgoing yeah. is the word I would use. Um, very much a uh, a legendary fixture over in my neck of the woods. Okay. Yeah, Maury. And we were... We were just traveling out there to um, like train up, and he was just climbing, and I was sort of training up by su- stupidly climbing cracks <laughs> because I was like, once I got up there, I was like, I should have been bouldering. Mm, yeah, <laughs> it's like I should have been bouldering for the last two months, and I could have, you know, the cracks were not that big of a problem. No, it's just did you you went the boulder problem mm-hmm. way then? Yeah, not yeah, tough on floor. It's kind of heinous. Yeah, it's sharp. Yeah, it, it was easier back then too. Oh, because the jug pre, was yeah. still there, yeah. It's pre-jug loss. Yeah. So I'm glad that that happened. Um, but yeah, no, I have like funny memories because we, I think we actually met uh, in Chad Shepard's yes. tent. And watch, we were all watching Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, remember I remember that. Because <laughs> <laughs> Chad, it was like super windy and cold and Chad had like, he was one of those guys that would, pirate everything on a dvds and he had like yeah and that big binder full. yeah yeah and it, he be i mean he was kind of in charge too but it, we realized right away like that that binder of dvds made his tent like like that's the place to point. be yeah, yeah. totally <laughs> and uh and he started us on Battlestar galactica at least me and maury and uh maury's not the kind of guy to like follow that stuff but i finished I like. Yeah, I did too. I went because we it was it was still on TV at that point. Yeah, and um and you could pirate it like through you know LimeWire or one of those things off the internet. And I I finished to the end. It's so you, funny. Did, you, you I did. did too. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> and then we went climbing, right? We went climbing. We the whaling wall or something. The or whaling the, wall. Uh huh. And then we did some cragging over at Cowabunga. Okay. That's the only two things I yeah. really remember. I think I was just there for a couple more days <clears throat> before going down into the valley. Um, yeah, I remember getting kind of worked on that whaling wall thing. I got worked, and I ended up handing my lead over to you. And I was like, I can't do it. <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, I was probably like, oh, shit. I got to step up here. And you're like, okay. <laughs> okay, I can do it. Yeah, I remember some big roof. I don't know. There's the yeah. steep roof, and then it's really not bad after that. But yeah, just for me, for sure, I was just like the elevation and not really knowing how to crack climb at right. the time. I was just like, you had Holy just gotten cow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you were, you're from Louisiana? Yeah. Yeah. That's a trip. Yeah, that's a trip. <laughs> I, I just, I, you know, I, I actually met some uh, girl. I'm going to call her a girl because she's super young. In the meadow two nights ago, like in the middle of the night, because we came down off our cap like super late. Okay. A little Latina girl, and she she self-identified like that, and uh, she was from Louisiana. Oh. Her name is, she's hanging around for the month if you see her, like ringlet, curly, black okay. hair, and uh, her name is Caro. Okay. And uh, yeah, and she's from Louisiana. I was like, I'm like, do you know Katie Lambert? She's like, no, who's that? I'm like, <laughs> she's she climbs here all the time. Like she's from Louisiana too, because this is the first time I'd ever met another climber from yeah. Louisiana. So, do you know um, Ben Spanner? Yeah, he's from oh, yes. Louisiana, from, LA. from Lafayette. Okay, yeah. 
So how did, let's do your journey a little bit. Okay. From Louisiana to, to when we met in Tuolumne. Okay. Like from the start, you think? Or from uh, the know, start of climbing? Just, you know, what the pertinent information that, like I said, makes a, a girl at that time, a woman, come from Louisiana to Tuolumne. Okay. What's the path? It was, you know what? I attribute it all to um, those Masters of Stone videos. Really? <laughs> Seriously. Um, well, okay, so it was... I mean, you can even get your hands on the... Where, what, where are you from in, in Louisiana? Baton Rouge, okay. so the capital. We have nice libraries there. Okay. That's kind of where it started. Right. Um, 1995, mm-hmm. I went to work at a camp in North Carolina. Okay. I followed a boyfriend over there. Um, and he was pretty outdoorsy, like unique character, not fitting in with school. Mm-hmm always playing in the woods and like doing art projects and stuff. And I was like, I had never really met anyone like him. Um, it was like whoosh. Totally. Yeah. Just like, well, what is nature? Like, well, we can like play outside. Um, and so, yeah, that was pretty awesome. He was going to work at this camp. I followed him out there. We were too old to be campers, too young to be counselors. So we were junior counselors. Okay. And you had to help with an activity, like with one of the um, counselors in your bunk, whatever they did. And one of them was a climbing instructor. And on my tour of the campus, I had seen this wooden climbing wall in the back and these kids climbing on. And I was like, wow, what's that? They're like, oh, that's climbing. We practice here. And then we go outside on real rocks and we go climbing. We take these backpacking trips. And I'm like, wow, that sounds cool. So that's what I did. And totally fell in love. Nice. It's just like, wow, this is awesome. This is what I want to do for yeah. like the rest of my life somehow. Um, end of summer, back to Louisiana. There's no rocks there. We have like some hard dirt mounds, you I know. I think it's generally agreed upon to be like vying with Florida. Yeah. As like the climbing list state of all states. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Lowlands. Lowlands. Swamps. swamps yeah. Real muggy. Lots of bugs. Um <laughs> And no one in my family, no one that I knew, aside from my boyfriend, was, like, into being in the outdoors. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, my family, especially my mom's side, like, they have camps on the rivers and stuff, but you go, like, jet skiing and you Mm -hmm. drink some beer and whatever. Just, like, normal kind of American pastimes. Um, So it was hard for me to go back and not have that outlet anymore, especially, like, following so passionately for it. So I would just go to the library, and they had climbing magazines there. They had climbing and rock and ice and ascent. Wow. Like every single one. Wow. I don't know why, but they did. Um, The library wasn't that far from my house, so I was just going there and just immersing myself in that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also like reading old climbing books and American Alpine journals. It's That's actually pretty wild that, I mean, I'm not trying to like, you know, paint Louisiana is some like backwards place, but any urban no, but or any place, weird. yeah, to have those <laughs> magazines in the mid nineties and have like a collection yeah. of them, there had to have been a person who made that happen right. for their own personal need as it well. It would seem like yeah, it. Because yeah. it's, it's not normal for those, those places to carry those no, magazines. No, I all. found it yeah. odd, yeah. but I was stoked. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then sometime around that time, my boyfriend's mother came home from the library also with a video, and it was Catherine Desteville climbing the old man of Hoy. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And at the time, right, so this is the mid-90s, there are women in the climbing media. Is that media. the one where she's, like, in the yellow leotard and stuff? Yeah, she's, like, right. soloing right. this, like, Choss yeah. yeah. stack and you're like, yeah. oh, my God, right. she's amazing. Um, that, like, blew my mind, just seeing her. And sure, Lynn Hill had, like, freed the nose sometime around that time, mm-hmm. but I don't know, that... That just seemed, I don't even know. Like, right. I didn't understand, I guess. But seeing this video is just like, holy cow. Like, that, who's this woman? She seems so comfortable. She seems really strong. It's so beautiful. Like, the whole thing. Um, I kind of became obsessed with her because of that video. But then that even, like, pushed me further to want to know more. Um, we started getting Masters of Stone videos. And then it was like... Everything I was seeing was like telling me, if you want to consider yourself to ever be a real climber, you need to go to California. Yeah. Um, and so that has just been in my mind. And that's, that was kind of the impetus for that, for the move out here. But then, you know, there's, there's this kid, your teenager, right? 15. The trigger has to get pulled. And that's like, I mean, I, I, I always go down this road because I, I love those moments where, like, you saw that, that dumb climbing wall. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you have 999 out of 1,000 people just be like, be oh, like, that's whatever. neat, and that's the end of that. Yeah. And, or, you know, like, you have this fate moment where you never see it. Right. You know, and those, like, are these metaphysical and cosmic things, but it's just this, like, simple moment. And now you're sitting in this place, and we're in your, we'll talk a little bit about this, we're in a, a future business of yours here in, in Bishop. Yeah. Like, it's all happened from that moment, right? It's true, it right? It's a trip. It's a trip, yeah. because yeah. whatever it was about seeing that climbing wall sparked my imagination of, like, this is something you could do. And I wish I could go back to that, like, 15-year-old person and see what was in their mind at the time because mm-hmm. i have no idea like i don't remember sure you're you're very i mean you have this whole conceptual change yeah and it's you know your brain gets rid of the old concept in yep. a lot of ways yeah yeah and your memories are faulty yeah so there you know it's like it's just the truth of it's it all, true right? yeah yep but, um so the trip how, how did you get out here then like so how did, then, again we're, we're leading up to meeting in tuolumne okay so then it was i went back to louisiana finished high school all that stuff around the same time around 1996 mm-hmm. or 97 um a climbing gym in lafayette louisiana opened up and this man art comier mm-hmm. opened up the gym who also happened to be a rock guide in Tuolumne. Okay. And in his gym was a poster of Ron Calc climbing peace. And that, it was kind of a similar thing as seeing that video of Catherine Dustaville. It was like, I want to climb that. Where is that? I need to know more. It was in Tuolumne Meadows. Mm-hmm. And that was the impetus of like, go to Tuolumne. At some point, whenever you get out of Louisiana, go to Tuolumne. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny, there's like, you know, I grew up in Chicago suburbs and the, in the Michael Jordan era. Uh-huh. And like you think about there's these iconic Michael Jordan posters and, you know, that probably influenced ten thousands and right. tens of thousands of kids to want to be basketball players. Yeah. Which is, uh, you know, all, literally a almost unattainable goal. Right. But then I always think about these there. There's these certain posters in each era and or images whether they were made into posters or not. And they're just like, when I've, you know, I've been doing this for five, six, seven years and talking to people and like, 
everybody's got, or a lot They're of people from the '90s picture, have their right? poster and yeah. their. You know, and I totally remember that one. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and or a little earlier was, uh, you know, Skinner on the South Day yeah. with, the, with the, and all that stuff. So it's pretty cool. Like, it is cool. Because, I mean, that's how powerful an image can right, be, right? right? It could, like, change a person's life. Yeah, it totally did. Yeah. Yeah. So now you're thinking about peace and so where Tuolumne is. So I'm thinking about peace and, and where You don't know Tuolumne. how to pronounce Tuolumne. I don't you're even know. Like, I'm yeah, like, no Tuolumne or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. Because you know? nobody does when they first see it. They're like, Tuolumne. Meh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, I better figure that out before I get there. Yeah. Somebody's going to just roll their eyes at me. Um... <laughs> I lived there for two years and never said it. I, no, never, no, no, I didn't know. How. Well, here, here's the other hard one. Marawalami. Have you ever seen that, that no. written? Marawalami. It's a dome. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, finished high school. Was re- I'm really close with my family. Mm-hmm. I'm an only child. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Um, my, my father's mother at the time was really ill with diabetes and I didn't want to be too far away, but right. I wanted to get the fuck out of Louisiana. Like, my entire life growing up there, I was just like, I have got to get out of here. Um, so I didn't, I didn't really know, I didn't know what to do, but I wanted to get out. Um, so I ended up moving to Austin, Texas, uh, right after college. Okay. Um, and lived there from 2004 to 2006. Um was working at the climbing gym, also for Pearson education, like editing standardized tests. Mm, that sounds fascinating. <laughs> it's like so boring. It's really good money because the climbing gym really didn't pay anything. Right? Um, yeah. <laughs> but I was just like, holy cow, what am I going to do? Like, I have a college degree and I'm like editing test papers, and all I really want to do is go climbing. Right. And I'm so conflicted. Right, right. Um, yeah, so I lived there for a while. It was cool. I mean, Great city. I made a lot of good friends. Really great climbing. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, you know, it was my first time living in a place where you can walk out of your house, drive 15 minutes, and go climb on rocks. You know, it was like blowing my mind. Um, my grandmother, they moved to North Carolina, and then she passed away shortly thereafter. Okay. And so I felt kind of like liberated at this moment. Not that they were really holding me down, but I was like, I can, it's time for me to like really go out west. Um, so summer 2006, I got rid of pretty much everything I owned, broke up with my boyfriend of like five years. The guy? A different guy. Okay, different one. I have like a history of long-term monogamous relationships. Um, Well, we don't need to get that deep into that. Uh, (laughs) But I was just curious because of his his role. Different guy. Right. Not a climber at all. Yeah. Packed up my truck and drove out to Yosemite. Right. Um... I lined up a job with the park service to work in the campgrounds. Mm -hmm. I was like campground, like ranger, but I worked at night because I was like the bear rover. So I was just essentially making sure everyone kept their food stored. Sure. (laughs) July 4th weekend, I had gone bouldering. Usually I was riding my bike to work. Mm -hmm. Um, But this day we had gone bouldering. So I had all the bouldering pads in my truck. So I drove over there. And I got off probably around 2 a.m. It's the valley, 2 o'clock in the morning. It's dead. There's no traffic. There's nothing going on. So I'm coming from that intersection, leaving Curry, going to the store where the garage is okay. on the right. And I'm turning right because my housing is over there. And I, like, roll through the stop sign, and I get pulled over by some rangers who were, like, lurking over in the Camp 6 parking. And, uh... It was this guy that I had just been in a rigging for rescue course with. 
and he didn't know how to use a Grigri. And I had showed him how to use a Grigri, and he wasn't that happy about it. And so when he pulls me over, he's like, oh, it's you. <laughs> what do you mean he wasn't happy he about wasn't, it? Was oh, that, like, you, that you that gave I him had, pointers? Yeah, that he this didn't tiny, like it. That this tiny... Gal this had tiny come woman over had like shown him yeah, how some to use shit. some tool. He Uh-oh. wasn't psyched. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, it's you. Oh, it's you. And I was like, oh yeah. And so he starts with his flashlight, looking around in the truck, and there's a roach on the ashtray because we had been smoking weed earlier, and it was just there. And he saw it, and proceeded to get me out of the truck. They search the truck, they search me, they arrest me, and I spent the night in the John Muir Hotel, the Yosemite Valley Jail. Damn. <laughs> I know. And I was like, this isn't going to be good. Like, I'm going to lose my job probably. Right. Um, spend the night in jail, I have to go to court the next day, and then they release me, whatever. Now I'm on my weekend, because I had the, the weekend off, I go into the office on Monday and decide I'm not going to tell anyone anything unless they ask like no need to just tell on myself um so the whole day goes by nothing happens i'm like wow (laughs) amazing (laughs) going to work the next day i pull up on my bicycle and there's this like really baller government rig outside the office and i'm like "Ooh, that can't be good oh man (laughs) going to the gate and it's my boss and this other woman there. And the vibe's weird. Like, they see right. me and they're kind of like, they don't know what to do sort of thing. But right. they don't say anything. And I walk by them and I go into the office. And then the whole vibe in the office is super weird. And everyone's like, it's just kind of staring at me and looking away and not really saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> and then my boss comes inside, um, asks me to come outside, go outside and... They sit me down and they ask if there's anything I want to tell them. And I was like, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, this is awesome. You're just like going to play it to the end. I'm sticking <laughs> yeah. to the plan. I'm sticking Keeping to the fucking plan. In. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, not really. Um, I was like, if there's something you want to know. Well, I think they ask again, like, there's nothing about something that happened over the weekend you want to tell us about. And I was like, if there's something you want to know specifically about, you can ask me that, but there's nothing I... I'm going to volunteer yeah. Yeah. openly. Um, so then they ask me, they kind of know, they know yeah, the whole story, obviously. and they ask, and I'm like, yeah, that happened. They're like, well, we're going to have to ask you to turn in your radio. <laughs> and I was like, really? You're firing me? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, even though I wasn't working, and they were like, yeah, that's just our policy. And I was like, Okay. They're like, and you have a week to move out of housing. And I'm like, shit, what am I going to do? Like, I didn't come here to work for park service. I came here to climb. I'm not going to let this, like, deter me. So I need to figure it out. Um, That's actually when I met you because I decided to go to Tuolumne. Okay. I was like, well, screw it. Chad's in Tuolumne. He said I can come hang out and stay around and that probably I'll find people to climb with. Um so that's what God, I you know what's interesting is now that you say that I I think I remember you telling me some issue I mean, like it had just happened I was a like few traumatized yeah, yeah. it's just like holy shit I ta- yeah cuz I mean we hung out for a yeah. couple of days a few days and so yeah I'm, I'm sure you brought it up now yeah. that you bring it uh up now I don't know if I got the full story but yeah 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 God there it's so it's so counterproductive like uh, just 
because of a burnt roach and you're like that imagine the resources they such really? issue for up until last year really and probably because it's on your record this year because it's on my record and it's been with canada because in oh, canada right <laughs> if you've been arrested you can't go into the country for five years right unless you apply right. and like pay some sort of fee i had no idea Oh, no, no this. one does. They get, <laughs> you find out on your trip. Yeah. Yeah. So fast forward a little just to talk about right. that. 2007. Right. I had met Ron Kalk at the cookie sometime that winter. Um, and we started climbing together. And he was giving a slideshow in Squamish at the Mountain Film Festival. Mm-hmm. And he was like, do you want to go up there? We go climbing, hang out. I don't know. And I was like, sure. I'll go. Never been. So go up there, get to the border. They ask if anyone has been arrested in the last however long. Right. And like an idiot, I'm like, yes. <laughs> wow. And then I have to explain. I guess you're in that boat again, the same boat you were in yeah. before of like, I mean, that's always the game is do you yeah, come I'm like, clean do I say it or, or is it worse if I don't say yeah. anything? Um, in that case, it would have been the same. It, it would have probably been the same because she didn't really like us. Like she had pulled us out of the line yeah, for yeah, sure yeah. and was like asking us way more questions than anyone else. And probably she would have looked into it anyway. I don't know. Who knows? Hard to say. Yeah. But so I say, yes, I have to explain the whole story. Then she has to go and look at my record. And yes, it says I've been arrested. Um, but like the final charges aren't on there. Like they hadn't finished right. filing all the paperwork or right. whatever. Um, and she's like, so tell me, how important is this trip to you? And I was like, well, it's fairly important. I mean, we drove all the way up here and my friend's giving a talk, so we kind of need to be there. And she's like, well, at this time I'm declining your entry into Canada. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, bitch. What? (laughs) Why would you ask someone that? (laughs) It's not important at all. Okay, then you can come in. <laughs> yeah. If it's really going to suck that you can't come in, then I'm not going to let you come in. <laughs> so we're like, no, what Poor do we Katie, do? what's so, up? So denied, and we have to leave. We're like back through. We're back in the U.S. now. And we're like, what? So we call Ron's friend, Perry Beckham. Yeah, I know Perry, actually. And from we the tell old him yeah. the deal. And Perry's like, just go to whatever town. It's a super small border. They ask you anything, say no. Yeah. He's like, there's no way that is in the system yet. And right. they don't even have computers over at the whatever. And we're like, okay. So we did. We go to this other border. They ask me all these questions. I say no to everything. And they're like, welcome to Canada. Have a great trip. <laughs> so that trip happens. It's fine. Whatever. Two th- 2012, we're going to Mount Proboscis. Right. So, we, oh, you're right at the end of it then. We fly into i don't recall what airport we flew in mm-hmm. before we went up to the yukon um to whitehorse but whatever it was led to go through customs um they like writes a little squiggly that looks different than the squiggly they write on ben's ticket uh-huh. and we're like huh what do you think that means so we're going through like where you, you would have a flashback yeah. of, a, of a roach in your in your <laughs> yes. in your in your uh, ashtray. Um, we're going through wherever <laughs> the little like gate a, looks is. Looks like a little person smoking weed, yeah, doesn't like, it? Oh, that's, <laughs> that's just illegal substances. 
Um, and Ben gets to go, and they're like, you need to come this way. And he's like, oh, well, she's my wife. Like, I'm going with her. And so they're like, okay, suit yourself kind of thing. And they send us down into this basement cement room, and it's a lot of brown-skinned people in there mm-hmm. and, like, us. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is not good. Right. <laughs> um, long story short, for that one, it was like, well, because I'd been denied, that went through. Right. And now that's on my paperwork in Canada. Okay. So I'm trying to come back through, and they're like, wait a second, you've been denied. Did you fix your issue? And I'm like, oh, what? what's the issue? And they're like, you know, you still can't um, come in. Since you've been denied, you need 10 years now Ugh. to come into our country. And I'm like, what? And I'm just like feigning idiocy, which part of it's true, part of it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy ends up like doing some more research into it. And then he's like, actually, ma'am, we were wrong. You weren't charged of anything. Um, and we shouldn't have denied you, so welcome to Canada. And I'm kind of like, what? <laughs> I'm like, great. <laughs> we go into Canada. Um, it's fine coming out. <laughs> 2016, we're going back to Canada for a work trip. <laughs> Same thing. Ben has one mark on his ticket. I have an odd You're mark on like, mine. Oh, I'm like, fuck's sake. oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> This is 2017. 2016. Or 16, so a decade now since the incident. Um, I'm like, oh, no. Uh, Same thing. We get sent back to that room. We're like, oh, we're in the room again. Same thing. Mostly brown-skinned people and us. And get this woman, and she wants to know the whole story. I'm trying to tell her. I'm trying to tell her what happened with the last time and the guy saying that Canada had made a mistake and I should be let in. And she's like, he actually made a mistake. You shouldn't have been let in. And you have 10 years, which is up actually in two months. So you're two months short of it. But I can let you in under special circumstances or something. And they did. They let me in. (laughs) She was like, so by August of 2016, this will all be over. And you should be able to come into Canada without an issue. I'm supposed to be going to Canada this year, so really? we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> the squiggle. I'll just be like, God damn it. I know that squiggle. I know. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, that's the thanks for sitting okay. up for your normal account. We're out of time now. <laughs> Here's Canada epics. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> So, um, well, cool. Um, let's, uh, you made it to Tuolumne in your origin okay. story. So we could, we can switch to some other, uh, other topics and, um, the trip, I want to actually talk about that trip to, to uh, Proboscis. Yeah. To Proboscis okay. actually. And that was the 2012 one, yep. right? Yeah. So tell me about that trip a little bit. Um, that trip started Mason got it in his mind he right. wanted to go up there, asked us if we wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Um, ben was like, for sure. I had never really been on an expedi- on a trip like that at all. And it sounded awesome, but I was, I was like, maybe I'm going to be the weakest link. I don't, I don't know. And they were right. like, no, it's fine, whatever, come. Um, so I went. Uh, it was awesome, totally incredible. We went to climb Mount Proboscis, uh, which is in the Cirque of the Unclimbables. And the idea was to go out there and see about a new route potential. Mm-hmm. 
And in the time leading up to it, we had actually been in touch with Kevin Daniels a lot. And he was recommending that we should check out the Grindle. Um, that maybe the cracks itself wouldn't go, but the face to like either side of it might have potential for free climbing. Mm-hmm. And so we were like, okay, we'll go out there and we'll just see what we can do. I think we were there for 26 days. Um, and we ended up, Ben and I ended up repeating Women at Work, which is a variation of the original route. Okay. Original route put up by Robbins and Party. And then Women at Work um, was put up by Madeline Sorkin. Oh, okay. Because uh, didn't Nancy Fagan have something to do with bringing maybe the original route or something? Yeah, except... Right, so I was wondering if she was involved, but... No. Oh. Um, who was her at the time well, I can't remember I can't remember yeah. either um, their, their thing it was like she top roped the crux pitch or oh, something okay. yeah so Madeline and two or three other women had gone out freed this variation and then Ben and I did it in a day mm-hmm. and then in addition to that our team um, put up a free route kind of that follows the grindle a lot but then veers off of it called at dawn we ride right based on the meme yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that route, because I remember that we actually had had a, a bit of a like philosophical, you know, we now I wouldn't say it was a conflict, but it was like we had to work out what we were going to do up there and yeah. why we had gone. Yeah. And I, that was like really into my aid climbing days. And, um, you know, but I, I was actually. Surprised to find that, like, when we were ready to start, like, I was the only guy bringing free climbing shoes at all. Oh, interesting. And I oh, was yeah. like, yeah, but there's, I'm like, there's probably going to be some thing to free climb up there, you know? And the nature of the cracks there is they don't really take gear. Right. They're more a little grooves. Yeah. Seem, like, seamed out, like, kind of weird potted yeah. grooves and uh, lots of moss in them and stuff. Um, but nevertheless, you know, I was just, like, surprised that we had arrived there with that um and and i think we ended up like like i think the other guys ended up bringing some in the end i mean i'm saying like when we were ready to like pack up and leave but they were up there and and uh but then we found that you know it was either bolting or not and and that was kevin's kevin had a lot of tradition and so he we didn't want to place a lot of bolts yeah And, and i was that way too with aid climbing so um but i remember both of us thinking that exact thing he told you yeah was like i could hook out onto that face for miles and if i can hook out on it then i could free climb it, it except for you know i would have to put in some protection yeah here. although you guys didn't put in a stack of bolts no and it i don't recall out. the number yeah. but it's really not that many right like you're just way bold i mean as a group you guys are way bolder than what we were doing yeah and i mean ben has so much experience Mm -hmm. with that kind of stuff so it was like right up his alley and mason was like really keen for it and Mm -hmm. if anything it was like bronson and i would come up behind them and be like yeah we'll like sort out the moves or Mm -hmm. whatever Mm -hmm. after the sort of things got put in yeah that's pretty cool yeah did you guys so did i want i wanted to ask someone this in your group but the the place where it actually became a little bit of an argument with us was after kind of the main face and where it it sort of turns into you're getting close to the ridge and yeah. the nature of the rock changes and there's this big long corner yeah and you guys freed that yep how hard was it um like 511 see i knew it 
Because that was like, I was like, it wasn't my lead. Um, I can't remember. I, I can't remember, but I just remember like being super bummed that we weren't just free. Because it's like this beautiful corner. I yeah. remember being like this nice sweeping like Yosemite corner. Yep. Yeah. And it was like, I'm like, that's totally doable. And we ate it. And it wasn't bad weather or anything. So it's always, it's haunted me ever since. And it was only 5'11". So could, we could, totally could have done, done it. Could have done it. Yeah. <laughs> and then there was, we did, uh, you guys must have followed this. There was probably some loose rivet that I'd put in. Um, yeah. Because there was like some 5'10 climbing up there that was kind of run out for us yeah. and stuff. Right, like almost at the ridge. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, awesome job, by the yeah, way. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. It's pretty amazing out there. And then we got really lucky. We had nine days of really bad weather mm-hmm. and then the whole rest of the time was climbable oh that's cool yeah yeah and um, the first nine days were bad it was like the first few days yeah. were okay mm-hmm. but pretty good and then yeah just right. tent bound for nine days yeah. um we had about 50 we were there for about a month too and we had like 50 50 but luckily we actually got it done beforehand yeah and so at least you're like in your tent knowing that you'd accomplish your goal yeah and that anxiety of like right. are we just gonna is are we gonna go up and pull our ropes faster, yeah. yeah is is a little bit harder to deal with yeah at least we we thought well we'll do we actually thought oh we'll do another route right um and we had kind of checked out of some sort of line i think and then we just never were able to leave the ground really again yeah. for 16 days okay I think, was wow. our total yeah yeah Lots um, of Uno. Yeah. <laughs> we were playing checkers. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you guys were in the same cave. Yeah, yes, for sure. The standard there cave. There was yeah. like some old stuff around. There was an old can jar of honey. Um, mm-hmm. And then some empty cans of things. We were like, oh, yeah. There's been people. Yeah, that, that I think. And there were some bolts on some of the boulders, either to set up tarps or to hang food or something. Right. Yeah, I don't think we put any. We. Yeah. Well, the the um the the Cosgrove uh, yeah. Kurt Jackson or Kurt, uh, Cosgrove um, Smith Jackson party they had power drill. Yeah, that's what we were like. We blamed it on them. Yeah. Like they had the power drill. They would yeah. do well, it. Well, and so did um so did uh, Skinner and Piano. Okay. Because they had a generator to oh, charge. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you know what? I take that back. I, I can't go on record saying that that. Those guys had a power drill or not, Kurt and... Uh, I think they yeah, did. Yeah. And I only say that because we were so convinced that they had placed it and yeah. that was why. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe, I, I don't think solar was good enough. And it's actually not really, It's you can't charge batteries solar. But I know for a fact that it was a big deal because it was a big ethical deal that Piana and Skinner had a power drill with a generator. And the only way you could charge a drill would be to have a generator. Yeah. Because the 36 volts don't charge off of... Anyway, but yeah. yeah, so it wasn't us. We wasn't would, I wouldn't have stood there for 45 minutes just to hang a tarp. No. <laughs> like, that's one less bolt I'll place right. on the route. Yeah, totally. So, uh, <laughs> well, awesome. I, yeah, I've been wanting to pump somebody yeah. for information about that trip a little bit. And then um, as a bonus, we went and climbed Lotus Flower cool. Tower. And then the weather came in hard. Right. Like, our tent collapsed from hail. And we were like, we got to wow. get out of here. Right. We, we called those guys and they came and got us. Well, here's another funny wrinkle on our trip is that we, on the way up, we drove. and uh, You drove to where? To Watson Lake. Okay. Is That's right where they pick you up on the plane yeah. to bring you into the Iwanu. Yeah. 
Iwanu Lodge, I think is what it's called. Like but, from the States? Yeah, no, they like <laughs> Kevin and Chris and uh, Kevin and Chris Ryder was the other guy drove up and picked me up in Vancouver. I flew to Vancouver because I was in the Midwest for some reason. And then we drove, yeah, we drove up past Squamish and then cut in and then okay. yeah, we drove all the way to Watson. I think it's called Watson Lake where they pick you up. Yeah, where that little like shack mm-hmm. is. Yeah, and then Epperson, who was on the trip, met us there after flying into Whitehorse, I think. And uh, yeah, and then we all, or not Epperson, no way, but the three of us drove home. Okay. Yeah, which was wild. We hit a deer and all this stuff in the middle of the night. And there was this, like, yeah, rad story about uh, Kevin. We hit the deer. I know this podcast is about you, but. I want to hear it. (laughs) So we hit, this is, so we were in Oregon, like inland, like back road, Oregon. And uh, middle of the night, we whacked this deer and we get out of the car and the deer is in the ditch, but it's still alive, right? And we're like, we don't, nobody has a gun, you know, and, and it's, it's like back end is messed up, but it's front and it's making like that weird noise that deer, I don't know if you ever heard it's a terrifying noise, super in pain, like, but he's got antlers and he can thrash and you're like, what are we going to do? And we're like standing in the headlights. We're all wrecks. It's like middle of the night, early morning, you know, and Chris is actually in PA school, um, physician's assistant. And so we're like, all right, well, you're like a surgeon. So if anybody's <laughs> going to like try to cut its throat or something, it's you. And Kevin had bought this like custom made knife. We'd stop okay. somewhere like this. So we had this brand new, like super sharp knife, but we couldn't get near the animal. And we're all just standing there. And all of a sudden, Kevin pull, pulls the mile marker sign out of the ground <laughs> Because there happened to be like this sign, you know, the that like kind of corrugated yeah, yeah. with the holes in it. Yep. And he just starts like wailing on the deer. And then he hits it and he and he and he stands on the on the um oh my God. on the sign. And he's but this is all part of like trying to do it in. To help yeah, the deer. Yeah. So he stands on it and it's pinned it and then Chris, he's like, All right, come on, and then Chris goes in and actually severs its spine wow. and kills it. Yeah. Like right at the back of the head. Wow. Yeah. And I just stood there, you know, like like whimpering or like sobbing in the <laughs> in the night watching this all go down. Yeah. Every time I hang out with Chris, we like recount the story. Wow, that's cool. And it was all in the headlights, like full on forested oh, Oregon man. back row with like mist and I mean it's I'm like, like movie like, material. Yeah, well, I mean my brain has filled all that in. Like yeah. I said, the the memory being, you know, but it definitely was traumatizing. Then we got in the car and we were driving in like silence. Did for, like, you keep the deer? I mean, you could have eaten it. No, we didn't mm-hmm. go that far. We, we were full. We had a pretty full <laughs> van. Plus, it was fucked up now because we hit the deer. Um, so, but it was still drivable. But yeah, it was pretty traumatizing. Um, anyhow, wow. proboscis stories. <laughs> so, when you were coming up as a climber, did you kind of remain connect more connected to Tuolumne or the valley or either one? I say both of them right. are still like really important to me. I I really find that I need to spend time there. Right. Yeah. Um. And Tuolumne, I think, is probably my f- most favorite place in the world. Out of all the places I've been, I mean, the world's amazing, and there are so many spectacular places. Mm-hmm. But there's something about it that just feels really soulful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I came out to California. I'm here for, uh, just for a couple of weeks. We're leaving today. 
And uh, as a compliment to you, I was of all like hundreds, if not a thousand climbers I should interview in California. I was like, you know what? I want to interview Katie Lambert. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but also because we have a personal connection and, and that's always been the way I go with these things yeah. is, is I'll interview my friends first. Um, you know, but there's like people like Ron Kauk and I mean, you know, I, I need to spend some time out here and or get these people because the thing about the Californians, the really hardcore ones, they don't leave. It's true. We don't, I don't run into these guys in like it's really the true. Black Canyon or anything. No. Yeah. So it's been hard for me at this point, almost like worse than the East Coast in terms of like trying to get some of these great. Yeah. You would have to stay here for mm-hmm. like a couple months. Right. Yeah, and just line them up and knock them down. Yeah. yeah. But you've got an inside track on Mr. Cox, so I'll have to hit you up for that. Yeah. But nevertheless, um, but I've also, it's it's cool because, or your story or what I know about it is that you, you came out here and then you've, you've put together this life out here around climbing, doing all sorts of stuff yeah. to stay connected to the valley, um, stay in the area. We're, we're sitting in Bishop right now, which is your home now. So let's talk a little bit about that because, you know, we've talked a lot about the dirt bag on this podcast yeah. and this idea. And, you know, usually I maintain that if you're going to be a true dirt bag, like this person that's like chewing bears out of the campgrounds <laughs> and stuff, if you're a healthy person, that can only last so long yeah. until it, it, it like it's romance goes out the door and it, and you're actually just a bum. Right. And people, I think mil- a lot of times milk it too long and then they become sourpuss, you know, valley people, which mm-hmm. we all know. So I'm kind of curious, like, what was your path and, and was it something where each stage kind of just happened or were you like, I'm going to stay here. I got to make this all work. Pretty much. It was like, I really want to be here. I definitely don't want to go back to Texas or Louisiana. Mm-hmm. There's no other place in the States I really want to go to. Like, I really want to be here. I came here for a reason. Um, that was like to learn how to climb this style and just, yeah, grow myself as a climber mm-hmm. by being here. Right. Um, and so I kind of hodgepodged it together. I always had to work. So a lot of that time after I lost my park service job, I worked for Yosemite Association, which is now the Conservancy. Mm-hmm. They had a gift shop in the visitor center. Right. I worked there for a while. That was... They're like, ah, we love weed smokers. Come on in. <laughs> Pretty much. They're like, we don't care about that stuff. Right. <laughs> um, Every person in this freaking valley would be disqualified for something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, I had to get the thing that drove me crazy was everyone wanted a paper bag for their postcard, and uh-huh. I could not deal. I, like, would lose it over this paper bag. <laughs> because you everyone see the had word a, conservancy uh, on yeah, our sign? Right. Everyone had a backpack right. and just, like, put it in your bag that you have. Right. So I had to get out of there um, and started, work- <laughs> <laughs> started working for Yosemite Climbing Association, which is Ken Yeager's organization. Um, no, tell me about that. Which is so what people probably know the most about it is every year he puts on the facelift. Okay. Which is a park wide volunteer cleanup um put on by climbers and it's mostly all climbers that partake. Um and so but he also has a climbing history like museum or archive mm-hmm. uh from the very beginning, from like eighteen sixty nine or whenever they climbed the gully to the left of El Cap um, to, like, present day. And it's all the gear that's been used and 
just you know stuff from the nose some of the stove legs things where's like it that. housed in his garage in el patel oh, okay um so i worked for him cataloging all of that stuff and then helping him with the facelift and that was fascinating that was like actually a really good um, way to get educated. That seems like a dream job it for was a climber, amazing. too. It was amazing because I could come whenever I yeah, wanted. Right. I didn't really have to clock in or check in with anyone. He would come out there. We'd hang out. Um, yeah, it was great. I met a lot of people, especially helping with the facelift, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was in 2009, we put together an exhibit that was housed in the Valley Museum. Right. Um, and it stayed there for some months, and then it traveled around. And he's been really trying to get a space in the Valley, but Park Service just can't seem to wrap their head around it. Anyway, so I worked for him doing that stuff, loved it. Um, had become really good friends with Ron Kalk over the years, and we ended up starting a nonprofit in 2009 mm-hmm. also called Sacred Rock, which we still have today. Um but my work with that became like more focused and I eventually stopped working for Ken and was just working for Sacred Rock. At the same time, I was doing all this stuff because it's not like the most um, economical. I was also cleaning vacation rentals okay. in the park. So in Yosemite West and in Foresta, uh, which is all, it's really good money. It pays cash. You have steady work. And so I would just schedule my cleaning days or my climbing days around my cleaning days. Mm-hmm. So I was climbing at least four days a week and then working in the park. Um, and I don't know the Valley, you know, living over there for a while, it just becomes hard somehow. It's not an easy place to be full time. And it kind of feels repressing almost like the walls are always really tall, especially in the winter. It's really dark, it can be really cold. Um, so I started coming to Bishop in the winters, like around 2008 and really liked it, like loved the openness. Um, but you know, there's still like a large part of me that really needs to be connected to Yosemite. Mm -hmm. So I felt like maybe being here would be an easier way to actually have like a normal life. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's close enough that I could still go over there. And so that's what I did. Um, 2010 kind of moved here. Uh, full-time, if you could say that. Um, Ben and I got together. Ben Ditto and I got together 2010. And, yeah, we were like, okay, well, we'll just make Bishop home and we'll go to Yosemite whenever we can. And we really wanted to be there since I wasn't living there anymore. I didn't have a place for us to stay, so Mm -hmm. to say. So we started volunteering for the park service for the climbing rangers. Um, doing like climber, ask a climber program at the Elkett bridge and where you go climb routes and have to like report the condition of the route. You know, it's, it's pretty, it's a great way for climbers to get to be in the park. Actually. And what do you get in return? You What's get a the... campsite. Oh, that is, yeah, that's, that's nice. a huge deal yeah. in yeah. the pines. So not well, a camp for Right. So we got a campsite. I mean, when you were talking about like being there can, <clears throat> is difficult. That's all it. It's like, yeah. where's your vehicle? Where are you staying? Where yeah. do you live? Where do you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. So that's cool. So we would park our camper van in our campsite mm-hmm. for like two or three months mm-hmm. um, in the valley. And then during the summer, we'd move to Tuolumne mm-hmm. um, and stay in the van. Right. Um, Ben's a little bit older than me. I could probably have sustained that kind of lifestyle a little bit longer. But Ben... 
um, when he turned 40, he was like, I kind of need to get out of the van. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, what? Everything's within I'm reach. Like, this is you just reach and it's right there. What's, what's not to love? Because <laughs> it's like we, we're making money right. and we're not paying rent. Right, right, and then right. a lot no, of the, the rest of the year, we're traveling a right, lot. So we're right. like, gosh, we're not Why even... should we be dropping rent if yeah. we're not even going to be somewhere? Yeah, no, all those considerations. Yeah. Right. Um, so... Yeah, we started, well, I should back up because we were, in 2010, when we decided to make this home, we started renting a place in Paradise, uh, which is just north of Bishop. Mm -hmm. A little garage apartment, um, really cheap, affordable, the uh, owners are really nice. And so we were doing that, and then we were volunteering, and then we were traveling, and we were like, we don't need to be paying rent. Mm -hmm. And so in 2012, we stopped paying rent and just moved into the van. And then, yeah, when Ben turned 40, whatever year that was, 2016. So four years we were in the van. Mm -hmm. 2016, he was like, I really need to get out of the van. So he started renting another place in town. And that, he was happy doing that. But then he was like, we need to buy a place. Like, if we're going to be here, it's time to invest. And we had been looking, but nothing. We've been looking for years, but we just never found the right thing. And he wanted to get more serious about it. And I was just walking down the street one day and saw this place. And it had caught my eye before. The yard, the yard next door, it's like really beautiful. And it caught my eye before. And I'm standing there and I'm like, this is for sale sign. I swear this place has been for sale for like three years. Like uh-huh. what is up with this place? Right. And called Corrine Croft, Peter Croft's wife. She's a realtor here in Bishop. And asked her about it. And she was like, oh, yeah, great idea. Let's go look at it. And um, here we are. Right. Now. And it's like uh, you've got two apartments, one for yourself, one for a BRB. Yep. And then you've got, we're sitting in this rebuilt space that's going to be a, like a co-op office space. Mm-hmm. What did you call it? Bishop Cowork, a yeah. co-working, okay. co-working office. Yeah. Right downtown here. Yeah. By the middle school. So great location. Yeah. Yeah. And so you'll have a business. We'll have a business. As well as somewhere to live. Yep. Yeah, that's a long ways from the van. That's cool. In two years. That's true. In two yeah, years. Or, yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So nice moves. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My dad keeps telling me I'm so grown up and I'm like, I'm really just grown up by association. Right. Of this ben. guy that I'm married to who's <laughs> demanding grown up things. <laughs> I got to my protest. Yeah. But then when you're actually in those grown-up things, you're like, Oh, I'm like, wow, this, this is, is pretty great. Nice. This is so sweet. <laughs> no, I mean, it's like, uh, I think it's such an evolution. Yeah. That's so, I mean, it's uh, not, I don't want to say common because there's, there's awesome variations to it all, but, uh, but it's healthy. It's a healthy evolution to leave the van. Yeah. I mean, we, we've talked about it on this on the show before, and it's just like, yeah, you can't, the romances gets pretty thin yeah. in the later years. Yep. And uh, and we know because of hanging out in the valley, it can get pretty thin. It can get yeah. pretty thin. So, Especially the, when the weather's bad and yeah. you're like, oh my well, God. Well, and last night, two nights ago, the reason we ended up here, well, we were kind of planning on it, but we got down in the middle of the night and we're chilling and talking to these guys that also came down. They'd gotten down a couple hours before us and you know, we arrived in the valley on Thursday night before Memorial Day weekend, and we're just like, where are we going to sleep? You know, here here comes, like, yeah. what do you do now? The basic human right, need, right. where are we going to sleep? Right. It's and like... it's like, you know, there's all the hustles, and you park on El Portel, and 
Anyway, and then while we were sitting there, we watched. And oh, and the other thing is, everybody had been talking before we went up the week before how chill it was. And yeah, there's all these people just snoozing, obviously, in their in their cars right there on the bridge and stuff. And and that night, I mean, I'm sure in prep for Memorial Day weekend, they the clamp. Oh yeah, like we watched the dude show up and go car to car, ticketing people oh, and banging on them and the whole thing and we were just like all right i guess we're leaving the valley let's get out of here you know yeah so with that it was like midnight we'd climbed all day we descended and then we got in the car and we drove two hours to uh to get out of the park up there in twilight okay so it's kind of an epic oh, day yeah, it's epic. Yeah. but it was just that it was just like yeah. well we can play games here in the park and maybe get caught in like the early memorial day traffic tomorrow yeah or we can go over Tuolumne in the middle of the night with no cars. And so that was the game. But all those considerations, yeah. you know, like by Friday afternoon, that road to Tuolumne would have been a oh, freaking nightmare. terrible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, it's interesting. But I want to talk to you about your climbing. You were obviously interested in adventure climbing. That was the images you were seeing, even though, you know, like technically let's, okay, pieces got bolts in or whatever. But, you know, these images you're soaking up are adventure climbing. Yeah. And... And that's, I'm sh- I've never climbed it, but I'm sure it's adventurous feeling. It is. Yeah, yeah, because, <laughs> I mean, the bolted routes and sport routes are kind of two different things sometimes. Yeah, But um, And those those were, even those bolted routes, as controversial as they were, they were put up in styles that meant you had to climb. Yeah. You know, so what is it about your climbing that, you know, why is it adventure routes? And then also, my other kind of question is, is, you know, you're pretty early on kind of a wave I've felt of a lot of women trad climbers on, and adventure climbers. Um, but it sounds like talking to you a little bit, you know, you're climbing with the boys a lot and maybe yeah. you still do. Loads. Yeah. So tell me about like your motivation in climbing to begin with. And maybe we can talk a little bit about your fitting in in terms of the valley and, and uh, in terms of sort of gender, if that's even an issue for you. Okay. Um yeah, uh, gosh, I just wrote like a little blog post for Mammy about, I was asked a question once, um, do you live to climb or do you climb to live? And I was like, oh, that's like a stupid kind of cliche question. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking about it yesterday, actually, because I was like, oh, it's kind of, there's something to it. Because I think at the time when they asked me that question, um, I was like, oh, well, duh, I like live to climb. But now that like things have changed throughout time, it's like, because I'm so busy with all of these things that are going on, it's like, oh, but actually it's like climbing for me is like, that is what truly living feels like. There's something about it that brings out like this essence of myself. And I think adventure climbing kind of highlighted that for me or still does because it's like, it brings, if I feel like it brings me down to my like purest form of being a human and having to like navigate through this terrain that I'm not quite sure about, but do I have the capacity and the skills in myself and the, um, am I comfortable enough with myself to be able to find a way through it, to like make it through? Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, like navigating terrain makes people think of like root finding, but then there's like emotional terrain, Yeah, you know, dealing with, everything yeah yeah and and it's es- it, the, the essential that word essence essential is is an important part of the conversation about climbing i think yeah 
because that's always been my thing too. It's like you're you're like you're can be in a day of like hard adventure climbing, you can show like all these crazy very fundamental emotions all within hours of each yeah, other. Yeah, within minutes right, even. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So so yeah, so you had kind of a change of opinion about that question over time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um I think so. I think so. That yeah, that's the point to that little mm-hmm. snippet. Um and I don't my climbing motivations haven't really changed. Like I, I just love climbing. It's as simple as that. I just want to go climbing. I love being out there. Um, and the styles in which I, or the routes that I'm attracted to, I love sport climbing. I love bouldering. I love bolted routes. I love trad routes. I love slabs. I love steep stuff. I love run out. Like I love it all. It doesn't really matter. And I think there's, there's a bit of that adventure in all of it because you're always having to face yourself and face what is presented to you on the rock. Mm-hmm. Can you make it through it? Can you keep yourself together? Are you going to like freak out? Are you going to get angry? What are you angry at? Are you going to get scared? What are you scared of? Can you can you deal with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just really like that about climbing. So the other pa- part of my original question, my famously long and normal cast questions, which I get <laughs> shit for all the time, where I just talk and talk, and then I finally have a question. But um, the gender issue, I don't, I don't see you... I, you know, I look at your social media, which I actually have a, the, the, the question about that, too, which you might understand <laughs> know about at this point. But, um, you know, I don't see you always involving yourself, sometimes involving yourself. But what was it like for you? Again, like I, I feel like in your in the, you know, 15 years ago or whenever it was um, or 12 years ago. You know, you were dipping into a very boys club and each year that's gone since then i think it's less and less and less for sure but um did you feel like uh any any importance to that issue or were you just i mean it's just climbing it's been interesting for me because it's really just been climbing and when i first came out to uh, throughout all of my climbing Mm -hmm. it's mostly been with males Mm -hmm. growing up in louisiana climbing it was just me and like my boyfriend and a guy. Right. So like that's <laughs> yeah, what we so, were, that's what I was used to. So 30% of the climbing <laughs> scene was female, which is actually really high at yeah. that point. Um, and then when I moved to Texas, a similar thing, there were way more males and women climbing at the time. There were women around. Mm-hmm. I had some of my first female climbing partners there. Moved to California, came to Yosemite. And while women had done a lot in climbing already, there just weren't that many around. And so it was just me and the guys. Mm-hmm. And it was totally fine. It, it didn't feel awkward for me. I wasn't like, oh, where are my sisters out right, there? Right. Um, because I was learning a lot. They were teaching me a lot. Mm-hmm. And I was having a great time. But then as I kind of got older and knew more and could go feel comfortable going out on my own, doing these things i was like it would be cool to have like a girlfriend to do this with but then yeah as that need kind of grew so has the scene of climbing and there are more women and right now most of my climbing partners are women okay there's like two or three males that i climb with regularly and then about eight women i climb with regularly so it's really there is like a groundswell in terms of um, I think in terms of like trad climbing and, and yeah. adventure climbing, because sport climbing has been ahead of the curve because I think because of the gyms, Yeah. but there's been a slower sort of curve, I think with the, with the trad climbing, but I'm, 
definitely feeling it and I've noticed it quite a bit like in the last five, six years. Yeah, to I where agree with and then that. even on this trip, even though I wasn't in the valley very much, like we, we were just all business. We came in, we got set up and we left up on the wall. Mm -hmm. Um but then here and there I just kept meeting, you know, yeah, all day out, dirty Yeah women coming down off big roots, you know, and, and uh, I was like, oh, right on, because it had been 12 years since I'd been to the Valley, and it definitely didn't feel like that even in those brief moments yeah. 12 years ago when you when you started as well, so. Yeah. Um, and aside from your personal want for that, uh, in terms of like, hey, it'd be fun to climb with another girl, because, you know, we get along in a different way or whatever. Right. Do you feel like you have a, a stake in it being um an important shift in in the climbing world yeah um the last three years i've been involved with the women's climbing fest here mm -hmm. in bishop that okay. flash foxy puts on and i i actually really think it's awesome because i know even for myself as a woman there have been times where i've been like a little more intimidated to ask more about something if it was with a male. Mm -hmm. And I have definitely found that if it's within all female company, I'm not, I'm more inclined to just speak freely and ask things without this like, oh, they're gonna think I'm an idiot or I don't know what I'm doing right. kind of thing. And I, and that's a more conducive learning environment for people, obviously. And so I, I enjoy being part of that. I enjoy being part of this like educational process for women to learn how to climb, how to place gear, how to deal with whatever scenario they might get in, um, and then be able to go do that on their right, own. Right, right. I think the word empowered is like so overused these days, but it really is like this empowering and emboldened experience for people. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I appreciate you saying that. And I think that I feel like when you, someone like you, um, so accomplished, shows up at something like that women's clinic, I, I mean, you just have to be, like, blowing people's minds, I think. I mean, people seem pretty stoked. Yeah. Yeah. You I've know. made friends. Right. That, you know, it's awesome, actually. Yeah. You know, you're just such an example, again, of someone that just, like, kicked the door open and said, this is what I'm going to do, and this yeah. is who I'm going to be. Um, it's it's well, an thanks impressive... Thanks for saying that, because, yeah, I'm, if I can, like, get that across to people, mm -hmm. and perhaps, I'm, maybe I'm just lucky, you know, in that that's what I did and it's worked out for right. me. I don't know, but you never know unless you try, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I just can't believe it's all luck. I don't believe in luck like that. So, yeah. So yeah, good work. But um, I, I, I knew you did that clinic and I just, I always thought like, wow, this, you must just blow people away to walk in there. So oh, good thanks. for you for thanks. doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, cause it could seem a little fluffy, a little, you know, all these gym girls and, you know, because we, we're like clicky in our climbing styles, but it doesn't yeah. sound like you are at all. So No, yeah. and see, that's the thing. Like climbing is so popular now. Mm -hmm. I think there's something like 600 climbing gyms in the country. Right. I mean, that's insane. I think probably. I know, I should have way more listeners than I do. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think when I started climbing, there were probably like 25 or something, you know? Right. Um, Real like proper ones. Yeah. yeah. And people don't. It's, it's what's largely missing is that education from the gym to outside, whether it be how you're going to behave yourself, um, how you handle the mm -hmm. elements out there, how you handle other people out there. None of that is really taught. And so at these clinics, you get the opportunity to share that with people. And 
Yeah, I think that makes it worth it. Like yeah, all well, of it. someone coming from the cleanup too. Yeah. You know, it's like you see the you see sort of the damage of yeah of improper. Shoot, I mean, just spend a season at the buttermilks. You're like, oh my god, it's such a fragile like desert mm-hmm. zone. You know, and it just gets hammered. Right. Yeah. So. Cool. Well, last question is what's up with your uh, what's up with the roadkill Instagram? <laughs> I love it. Don't get me wrong, but <laughs> um, I. <laughs> what is it? What's your? I'm what's like your, fascinated. Uh, with, what's your Katie? What is it again? Um, Katie's gross pics of Instagram. Okay. Hashtag Katie's gross pics of Instagram. Mason gave me that hashtag. Um, it, on one of my first two, which are the best ones? I okay. think the second oh. post is like the best. And it's this bird that has been hit by a car and run over. And its eyeball has shot out of its head. And it's like on the sidewalk and there's blood behind it. It's so... It's pretty fresh. Did yeah. It just happened. Okay. Yeah, you're just like, that's rough. Um, it's so gruesome. But it's fascinating to me somehow. Um and maybe it's just the whole concept of death because, like, here we are. There's, like, my essence, my spirit inside my body talking to you right now. Mm. But then there's just my body. The meat sack. The meat sack. And whatever it's going to cause me to die, my meat sack's still going to be here. But, like, <laughs> me talking to you, this thing is not. And you're right. like, where is that? You know, now here's just this shell of this bird. It's so crazy. You're right. like, bam, like whatever it was that was in there is gone now. It's not there. You can't see it. And here's just this thing that's like totally, it's just going to be food or trash now. Yeah. So that's how that started. And I just feel so, I'm really just like heartbroken that these animals have been killed on the mm. road. And so we're it's all, a tribute of sorts. It's kind of like a tribute. Yeah. But, you know, there's also just like the grotesque side that yeah. I'm like, oh my God, look how nasty that is. <laughs> All right, so follow Katie Lambert on what? What is your actual Instagram? Uh, Katie Bird Lambert. Yeah, Katie Bird Lambert on uh, Instagram, and it's not entirely that. They're like just they pop into the feed every once. Yeah, in every a while. once in a while. It's, yeah. So, <laughs> and actually, Mason knows something about roadkill. I think yeah, he, told he does the story actually about, about him munching on roadkill in Indian Creek. Yeah. At one point, so well, awesome, Katie. Thanks for sitting down. Hey, thanks for and, talking. Uh, yeah, and and it's really nice to see. You. It's been a long time. Yep. Yeah. Yeah been a really long time you look the same you do too actually. no i do not no you really do i did not have a gray beard when i <laughs> it's so short right now i can hardly okay. see gray <laughs> anyway but thanks so much for sitting down and having me into your place here yeah thanks okay folks thanks for listening and thanks to katie for having me over to her place to talk. Uh, hopefully I'll get Ben on, her husband Ben Ditto on at some point as well. He's got uh, some stuff to talk about as well. And uh, we've gotten a lot of California stuff in the last few months. And we've got some coming up still. So as much as I've neglected to talk to Californians, I guess, considering there's so many great climbers from that state, um, we've done a pretty good job this year. So I'll keep pursuing them. But you know, like I said, they never seem to leave. I guess the climbing there is just too good, right? Maybe Katie will help me get Mr. Kalk in front of a uh, microphone one of these days. Okay, well, I thank you guys for helping Dean out in the beginning of the show today. And I just want to thank you for all the support you've shown me. You know, talking about the new podcast, the Run Out Podcast, and dropping it onto the 
top of a mountain of podcasting. You know, the Enormacast has been cranking along for years and a lot of climbing podcasts that started while I've been doing this have disappeared, uh, but I've been cranking this thing out and it's all been because of the support you guys have shown me. So I want to just say that I appreciate it. And again, as your ear time becomes more and more limited, because there are so many great podcasts out there. I'm just stoked that so many of you are sticking around here with the old man of climbing podcasts. Please keep telling your friends. And of course, if you get out climbing, check your knot. Mindy, honey, be a big girl now. There's nothing to be afraid of. Is it gonna hurt back? Oh, child. Only for a second, sugar. A handgun bullet travels at more than 700 miles. 700 miles an hour. So at close range like this, the force is gonna take you off your feet for sure, but it's really no more painful than a punch in the chest. Hey, getting punched in the chest. You're gonna be fine, baby doll. How was that? Not so bad. Kind of fun, huh?